Welcome to the Rethinking Humanity podcast, where we dive deeper into what makes us human and what causes us to thrive. I'm Lacey Delane. Hi, I'm Sonia Larea. And we are so happy to have you for episode 41. It is Can Work Fulfill Us? And also we're going to talk about intersections that can help reverse climate change. That's going to be an interesting one. Um, Sonia, will you tell everybody where they can follow us online on all the social platforms? Absolutely. You can follow us on Instagram. You can follow us at uh, www.rethinkinghumanity.us. And also on YouTube, search Rethinking Humanity Podcast. Yeah, that's where we're live right now on YouTube. Um, if you're watching us on YouTube live right now, hi, thank you for being hi. here. Set, uh, shoot a comment over to us. Um, we love to hear from you when, while you're listening. Um, and we appreciate you being here with us. I also want to let you know, if you enjoy our podcast, you can show us some love by going to buymeacoffee.com uh, backslash Sonia Larea, S-O-N-Y-A-L-A-R-R-E-A. And buying Sonia a coffee, you could go to the same uh, website, buymeacoffee.com slash Victor Ho, V-I-C-T-O-R-H-O. That guy's really important. That guy <laughs> does a lot for us. We wouldn't be here without him. Uh, see also the origin story of the podcast episode because that one's important. And if you want to buy me a coffee, you can go to buymeacoffee.com backslash Lacey Delane, L-A-C-E-Y-D-E-L-A-Y-N-E. I think that's Chris Alexander saying hello. What's up, my friend? Hi, Chris. Welcome. Thank you for being here. So guys, uh, please feel free to support us, support the show. If you love what we do, we super appreciate you. We want to hear from you. You can also send us an email, rethinkinghumanitypodcast at gmail.com with any feedback, any information that you want to share any requests on topics, all of that good stuff. So yeah, I think that takes care of all the housekeeping. Sonia, how are you? I'm good. I'm pretty good. I'm hanging in here and excited about being able to talk again with you and do some more uh, Eric Fromm and our articles and other items we're going to talk about tonight. It'll be fun. It's fun. You know, we've met a couple times recently and there's just so much that we've shared with each other really in the last month or so articles wise that fits in so well to the podcast, which is why we started it. And so we're really excited. We have had some great brainstorms for our content calendar and ideas for what we want to do um, content wise for the next couple months. And we decided that we really wanted to focus on the theme of work for the month of January because there's so much happening with the pandemic and how the pandemic has affected work. But even from before the pandemic, um, how we uh, how we view work, um, how much work, how much space work takes up in our lives, what Frome said about work, what things that Frome said and how they have to do with work. So there's just so much here that I think fits and there's multiple, multiple articles and podcasts, one of which we're going to talk about today that go along this theme. So we said, let's do it. Let's talk about work. We don't really have a title, Sonia, yet for this series. We're, we're working Correct. On that. We're still talking about it. I know today is, uh, does work fulfill us, but we're 
we've got a big umbrella with a lot of aspects of work that we're going to be discussing. Yes. So we're um, inviting you to join us on this journey, exploring work and also inviting you to reflect on what your life is like and how it, it how it affects you and your life um, personally, work and time and, and all those things. So um, we just welcome you um, to to kind of go on this journey with us on um, the theme of work. The other thing we wanted to mention today before we get into um, how intersections can help us stop climate change is um, a date today that's very, it's become an historical date um, that if we didn't say anything about it, we would be not paying attention. We'd be be remiss for sure, Sonia. Yes, today is January 6th and it's the day, unfortunately, that a year ago there was an insurrection at the Capitol. Something that before we actually got on the podcast, we were discussing among the three of us that I, I don't think any of us would have ever imagined that day would come. And it's really a scary thing because it speaks to our how tenuous our democracy is. And I just I think it's important mm-hmm. that we bring it up. And I'm hoping that um, moving forward that our country comes together and that we don't repeat that pattern of um people storming the Capitol. Yes. Yes. You know, it reminds me of a book that we both recently read called 10 arguments for deleting your social media accounts right now, which is probably one of the monthly themes we're going to do in the next six months or so. Um, But this is by Jaron Lanier. Anyway, he talks about how social media has so, um, so strongly impacted the division that we all feel politically and the ability to really get information and to see our democracy flourish. And so uh, I couldn't help but think of that in connection with what today commemorates. Um, And Sonia, you recently read that book as well. Mm -hmm. It's quite mind boggling, that book. It is. I think that people don't realize, I really advocate reading it, of how easily influenced we can be by these algorithms that really we're not aware of how we're being manipulated. And at the end of the day, as Lacey said, it's caused a tremendous amount of division in yes. our country. And sadly, um, it, it's it's cost people their lives. <laughs> and and it did a year ago today. Mm-hmm. And from what I'm hearing, and, and I've I'll be honest, I'm not the greatest at keeping up with with all the latest news on this, but um, there certainly have been some people who've gone to prison who were part of yes. leading this day last year and organizing. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I think the takeaway is a lot of the individuals involved were very mainstream. We're not talking radical uh, on the fringe, which I think that's there's that perception. And if you step back from that, you think, you know, what about our humanity? Where are we losing that we each are, you know, valuable human beings? And because of a difference of political opinion, you're going to go and take wow. lives, hurt people, um, you know, put, put others in danger. I mean, you, we could go on and on. I mean, probably it'd be a whole another episode, but right. I think it's important that we did mention that yeah. it was the anniversary today and right. did not forget that. Yeah. I, I remember reading it. This last thing I'll say on this, a reading um, a New York times morning brief on today, like about how it's the anniversary. And I was like, this reads like something out of a freaking movie or something like, is this so seems so unreal. But 
anyway, we, we send our love and support to everyone who suffered trauma on that day. Um, and we, you know, are hoping to see our country go in a better direction than mm-hmm. it's and the division and and the democracy crumbling that that we're seeing now. So we, we yeah, we wanted to mention it. So, well, um, before we get into um, can work fulfill us, I wanted to share an article that I found that I thought was just so interesting. Um, and it is also from New York Times. We don't have a like one wonderful only like ex- exclusive subscription to New York Times, but we do like a lot of what we read there. And this one um, is basically it's about this t- uh, city town in it would be a town, Carmel, Indiana, and it's the city or town with the most roundabouts in the U.S. It's a population of about 100,000 and it's located just north of Indianapolis. They have 140 roundabouts and they're still they have 12 more that they're planning to build. Um, and it's just really interesting that somebody did an article about roundabouts. Um, but anyway, before we get too much into it, Sonia, what are your what are your initial thoughts after kind of seeing reading the article? It was really cool. Um, and I think I'm gonna let you describe exactly what the roundabout is. But isn't yes. it where you can? Well, why don't you describe what that is, and then I'll tell you. What okay. The so, I, it would be. I think it would be great. I don't know if Victor, if you can pull up like the first part of this article, because there's definitely pictures in there. But um, a roundabout is basically, it takes the place of an intersection in that an intersection that is, you know, one road going this way, one road going this way, and they're having to be either a stop sign or, or a stop. A stop line. Place. Yeah. What, go, what you do instead of going straight through and straight through, you go around in a circle. Mm-hmm. And there's no need for traffic to stop in a roundabout because all you do is yield. So you may slow down and you may stop a little bit, but there's very comparatively to a red light intersection or a stop sign intersection, there's way less time spent stopped Mm -hmm. and much more time spent slowly going around the circle. And then you just exit at whichever road you need to go to and you can just go right back you needed to make a u-turn you just go right back to the same road you're on yeah yes so that's that's helpful to describe yes and i have been on a roundabout i thought for our listeners in case they weren't sure but yeah i will tell you that it's very ingenious and it was really interesting to see how something as simple as that made such a big impact both on you know the cars not stopping like you're saving on electricity you're saving on the car actually the fuel your, yep. There's less accidents. Yep. Um, there's just multiple benefits of that. And I think it's a good model for other cities to look at. A hundred percent. I mean, it's clear to me that the mayor of that town, Jim Brainerd or city, was very passionate about this um, because that's to me, um, to me, it's that's what drives people to or not drives, but inspires people to do things. It's their Mm -hmm. passion. And so for him to have done this, you know, this credit, I think to him, but what's amazing is it, it, it has, it does boast less accidents. Um, 1.9 traffic deaths per 100,000 people in 2020 compared to a nearby town. It was 20.8 traffic deaths 
per 100. That's a huge difference. That is, yeah. And for me, like somebody who hates cars and hates driving (laughs) and, and doesn't understand why we made ourselves so car dependent in this country, this is like amazing because we we lose people needlessly to traffic deaths every day and and we were just like oh yeah that's just you know they died in a car accident whatever normal no it's it's and and also the accidents that do happen in roundabouts are way less severe sure they're like a bender bender because your speed is lower you know um the 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 impact is not as direct Mm -hmm. on certain parts of the cars that are more vulnerable. It's incredible. I mean, and the coolest part, and this is what we teased in the intro, is that it really does actually help with our impact for climate change because you are not sitting at a red light. And when you sit at a red light, you're You're idling idling, and burning more gas. And when you do this, they they estimated that it saves about 20,000 gallons of fuel per, per year that that town saves just imagine, from roundabouts. Imagine if you had all the towns with roundabouts. Yeah. I mean, imagine if we were rethinking humanity <laughs> and we thought about how to do things that really would help us as a society, as humans, we would we would have roundabouts every fucking where. Come on. Exactly. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I hear you. No, it's, yeah. it's real interesting, really unique. And we need more, we need more thoughts like that and more ideas. Yes. And more passionate people to implement them. You know, Um, the last part on this um, is that I was going to mention now. I can't remember what it was. Oh, the city's vehicles that he has there are hybrid. He has um, solar panels that are taking care of like the power um, behind the water treatment and sewage plants. They've added bike paths. They've taken out traffic lanes and widened sidewalks. It's all in an effort to make things more walkable and to get people out of their cars for, for, you know, to, to stop climate change. That's awesome. Yeah. Amazing. You know, just super, super awesome. So yeah. um, Oh, and that's what I was going to say is that the other thing about this is pretty cool. Sonia is roundabouts don't go out of commission when there's some type of like a climate not climate, uh, weather. Oh, right. Right. Like if there's a hurricane or a storm or something. Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't need electricity. So like the electricity's out, power's out, the stoplight's not working anymore. Right. Doesn't matter. Yeah. But, but not with a, not with a roundabout and they're beautiful. Like you can put pretty cool art stuff in there. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to put plants in the middle. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So anyway, roundabouts are cool. Roundabouts can save more lives are the planets and the planets. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> let's do more roundabouts, people. Yes. Okay. Sorry about my stuffy nose. I'm still recovering from being sick, guys. So but you're apologies. better. Yes. I'm but I'm much better. I'm much better. But I'm still gonna be a little stuffy. So forgive me. But um all right, Sonia, let's jump into this. Do you want to introduce the the podcast episode we're gonna talk about? Yeah. Um the, remind me of the name. It's uh, sure. Work Doesn't Love You Back. Tell me the name. The, the Case Against Loving Your Job, I oh, believe okay. is, is this one. But oh, The Case Against Loving Your Job. That's the podcast episode name, but the author of the book of is is Work Won't Love You Back. Work Won't Love You Back by Sarah Jeff. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll start. Okay. Um, well, what I thought was really cool is Lacey and I have 
continuously talked about work in our conversations and we've talked about it reading from and what's amazing i'm just going to have to say this it's before all these articles and podcasts started coming out you and i were having these conversations lacy with yeah. these very same themes this is yeah. you know pre now where it's we're turning around seeing it's called the great resignation yes. and you know people working from home and we know a lot of this occurred due to the pandemic but all these like thoughts and ideas and we were we were talking about them that's what's so exciting to me is you know listening to the podcast and reading other articles well this podcast specifically has us thinking okay let's talk about what is work one of the first uh, points mm -hmm. of the podcast that i think everyone can relate to is during the pandemic we had what we called essential workers and mm -hmm. when we think of essential workers they would be like restaurant people service delivery uh, warehouse individuals say at Amazon. Well, what mm -hmm. we're finding out, those are expendable workers. Why I say expendable? Because those individuals were getting sick, they were dying, and mm -hmm. their employers didn't seem to care because what the employers were more worried about is that they someone showed up for the job and got the job yeah. done. Right. So that's one of the first points that the podcast discusses is how we, you know, these quote unquote essential workers. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, I think they dove in pretty, pretty deep into how, you know, difficult it was for them and how burnt out they got at a certain point, but also that there was so many of them that died because mm -hmm. of the pandemic. Sure. And yeah. I think, yeah, we're not looking at the, uh, the human lives that were cost due to, due to actually somebody getting their, you know, pizza or, <laughs> you know, whatever it is you're ordering online, which is yeah. huge. This is what I love about this article. It actually goes even further and talks about how our world now, we're, we're service oriented. We went from mm. industrialization to really a service economy. And yeah. one of the uh, points that is made, and I know Lacey and I've talked about this too, is how we live in this consumer society where we expect things quickly and yeah. cheaply. And to have that, people are having to do the work. People that we don't see. This is like invisible to us. Yes. And there are people who are, yeah, like in a warehouse, you know, packing the boxes. There are people driving your boxes to you to get 24-hour delivery service. Right. And why is that? Because we are a capitalist society that needs to make a profit. And how do you mm -hmm. make a profit? You keep pushing and pushing. You exploit your workers, you pay them less because you want to make a profit. <laughs> That's but the only way to really, make a profit. Yeah. So the, the hard question, and we might have even talked about this before, is can we change as a society to not have immediate gratification and have our goods like tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. I love that because it's a real, that's a real question. That's a real shit question. Like we can sit here and say all day long, oh, yeah, that's true. We put people in harm's way to get next day delivery. Do we really need next day delivery? Maybe sometimes we do, but maybe mo mo many times we don't. And can we ask ourselves that question? But then coming to the place where we go, oh, I'm putting a human in harm's way to do that. Or I'm causing a human to have to work. 18 hours a day or 15 hours a day or 
however many hours a day in not the greatest condition for low pay. Mm-hmm. Is it worth it? You know? And um, that's a question that I think the, the convenience that we enjoy, that we're used to, and the speed that we're used to in America, that's a tough thing for us to be able to let our hands loose of. Um, and I think that is one of the first things that they bring up in this podcast. And I think it's such a really valid question because, I mean, again, I think it's like, if you're looking at the way scale, you got human beings over here and money basically over here, like greed and people needing to make money, capitalism needing to run people wanting stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. and which one are we going to choose? From would say like the environment that we're in um, really uh, advocates a lot towards which one we will choose. And when the the environment that we're in is this winner take all capitalistic society, that's tough. That's a tough one. It's going to be tough for humans to come out on the, you know, higher end of the scale. Right. Um, There's two stories in this uh, podcast that kind of struck me. One is a woman who she ends up dying by the way of COVID, but she's yeah. actually like in retail. Yes. And the people, I don't know who gets mad at her, the obviously the purchaser buyer and throws like a toy at her head where it's split open. And you think like if you're in, and I worked retail before too yeah. when I was younger and you think, you know, those jobs are not highly paid. I can tell you that. And the fact that you're dealing with a customer who is has these expectations that they're going to harm you is really sad. Is it makes me wonder? Okay, how low are we going to go here? And yeah. then there was another example of um, the flight attendants. You know, they're in a service industry, and people get so frustrated and angry at a flight attendant. There's been a lot of stories you probably heard where people have had to be removed from the planes. Yeah. Um, And I just think it's really, it speaks to our not even seeing our fellow human being as a person. It's just like they're there to service, not as a, as someone like us that has a family that has, um, you know, a spouse or, or that has just a life. Feelings. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's also something where we're seeing them as, you know, we're not seeing them as humans, basically, you know, what you're saying. Um, and now I lost my train of thought, what I was going to say. Uh, yeah. We were talking yeah. about, oh, this is what it, this is what I was going to say, is um, this is also comes back to the emotional, emotional labor idea. Right. Where that this was already something before the pandemic that was being tested, our emotional, our emotional investment the, uh, the emotional um, the capacity that we have in work and the demand, the emotional demand that work makes of us. But then now after the pandemic, it's even more. But let me just explain what that is. Okay. Emotional labor is basically the effort that it takes to be emotionally what you need mm-hmm. to be in order to do your job. For example, a flight attendant. Um needs to be calm. They talk about this in in there and happy and willing to serve and bright. And, um, you know, it's not acceptable for a flight attendant or a bartender, uh, if they, you know, are 
somebody said something mean to them. It's not acceptable for them to like say something mean back, right? That mm -hmm. is the emotional labor in work. Now, I will tell you that I think that in service industries, I think that is a high, much higher demand. But I think sure. in most jobs, there, all jobs, I think, most jobs is a factual statement, though. There's a, a an emotional um, effort. There's an emotional energy that's ex mm -hmm. expended. And so this is something that I think we just don't even think about as a part of our work life. Yeah, um, I agree. There's a point, too, that, that I don't know that we talked about, but I know you're going to get, you'll get it. Maybe we did. Um, when they talk about going to the grocery store and, you know, during the pandemic, people were really isolated and alone. Mm. So you have an elderly person and they start talking to the cashier. And, you know, as your cashier, you are taught also to be friendly and, and serving the customer. But now you have these people all in the back of the line that are getting angry, you know, that you're not doing it quick enough or that the this woman is chatting away with the cashier. So you can see a lot of problems there. Like you're saying, yeah. emotional labor, the fact that we are lonely and isolated, the fact that people don't have the patience because they want get going to get their stuff and get the heck out of there, you know, again, with yeah. the immediacy. So there's a lot to unpack with that. Yeah, there's a lot. And even even in the work that I do, you know, as a nanny, um, this is not really having to do with the pandemic per se, but just trying to paint a picture of that emotional labor is needed in most jobs, emotional effort and energy. I mean, it, it applies to that too. Like my presence, my emotional energy is towards those girls 100% of the time that I'm with them. And so, of course, at the end of the day, we're going to need to refresh from that. Mm -hmm. And so for these folks who are doing the hard labor of, you know, delivering packages or retail work where they're doing other work and doing the emotional labor, that is taxing. And then you add to it the, the pandemic and the complications that have come since then and the risk that they were taking as they were doing these jobs to potentially be exposed to the virus. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. That's, That's a, a lot. lot. That's yes. a lot. And I want to point out since we started the conversation where I brought up manufacturing and, and a lot of the bigger companies like Amazon deliveries and a lot of industries, one of the, the topics they talk about in the podcast is that in the forties and fifties, we had more of a union kind of structure and there were, you know, more, I guess, rights you could say for employees. Yes. We don't have that now. And even though we have seen strikes, it's nothing compared to what previous, um, you know, times, centuries, we, where people rose up and said, we're not going to live like this. And that is a problem right now in our country because we don't have like a collective effort that is saying, Hey, I'm not going to do this. I mean, the collective effort right now, I would say, would be people not working, right? Saying, I quit. And then a company says, maybe we've got to relook at how we're hiring or how much we're paying. Right. But we don't, we lack a lot of the structure, I think, that protects workers mm -hmm. in this these situations that we're talking about today. Yeah. And I think that actually is a real reason for this great resignation is what they're they're calling it and that other folks are calling it and it's you know it's a shift in people's attitudes toward their jobs um it's their 
quite frankly, my opinion is it's their look at themselves in a new, them looking at themselves in a new way with a higher value on themselves and saying, Hey, I, we got to have higher wages. Like we're worth more than this. We need a better work-life balance. And, you know, just people just rethinking the role of work in their lives. And the pandemic really was, and I know we both know this from mm-hmm. personal experience too, but it was an awakening that l- was something that led to this great resignation. And that's what Sarah Jaff is saying um, on this podcast. It's Ezra Klein's podcast. Um, and, you know, she wrote a book called Work Won't Love You Back, How Devotion to Our Jobs Keeps Us Exploited, Exhausted, and Alone, which I would love to have her on the podcast. Oh, my yeah. God. Shout out to her. I would love to have her here. Yeah. Love and, you know, say, talking about the great resignation, um, Lacey, what they're finding out is Gen Xers and the millennials. Also, the other aspect here is that they've been told that work is going to be personally fulfilling. Like a labor of love, that they're going to go out there and change the world. And that's what they want to do. But they're finding out that these jobs that they get employed in are not that. They're basically, you know, maybe administrative or they're sort of told one thing and the job something else. So that's been a real struggle for that generation because they come out of school with debt. They have, they're excited. They want, you know, they want to go out there and do something big and only Mm -hmm. to find that that doesn't happen. Another example given is the um, healthcare industry, doctors and nurses. Um, There was an example that they brought up where a doctor, you know, takes a Hippocratic oath. She's very passionate. She's going out and wanting to save lives. And she finds out that the industry she's in, the healthcare industry, which I think we've touched upon many times too, is an administrative nightmare. So she ends up doing more uh, paperwork than being able to deal with patients. Right. There's so many, there's so many threads there. You know, there's that last thing that you'd said about the doctors touches on moral injury, which I want to talk about in more detail. And then the first thing you mentioned is uh, really along the lines of like corporate virtue signaling, which is super interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, But also this idea of the labor of love ideology and that like work should be more than a job. It should be more than a way to make a living. It should be a calling. It should be a source of identity and it should be our only source of meaning. And of course, the author is against that. Of course, we are against that. And the reality is that that there's so many other sources of identities. There's, um, you know, the, the way of making a living is just that simply a way of making a living. And what we're all realizing, I think right now is that this labor of love ideology really doesn't serve us because what happens after years and years and years and years of the labor of love ideology is you're retired and who, what do you have? What do you look around and what do you have? You know, I know people who are, you know, in their mid thirties and ignoring relationships because of work, because of career these types of things are interfering with our ability to really exercise what Frome would say our human powers, experience life as humans in ways that work limits us from being able to do. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, I think the ideology has been that we're going to be personally fulfilled by work. 
And that's an identity that has been around. I mean, I can relate to that. And what we do, Lacey, to your point, is we sacrifice other things in life for work. And then mm -hmm. at some point, it may be too late, even with that you've lost someone that you loved or you've not been able to have an opportunity that you wanted to go travel or you wanted to do something and you chose that career. Right. And to, to the Sarah Jaffs book, does, does work love you back? Does that... Does that fulfill you? Exactly. And, and I mean, the reality is, and we've talked about this many, many times when we've talked about like why basic income, there's so many other things in life that can give our lives meaning, relationships, art, hobbies, sports, volunteerism, yeah. volunteering, giving back, going to the gym, exercise, play, comedy improv like i'm i'm about to start taking improv classes because it's yeah. something that i enjoy that i want to learn about you know what i'm saying it's but if if all we're obsessed with if all that controls yeah controls if all that takes up our our mental and emotional spaces work there's not any room left for any right. of these other things there's not we're not having a healthy balance and you know it's interesting because i know on the podcast we always bring up a lot of issues that hey, let's look at this. That's what rethinking humanity is. Yes. One thing that they discussed, which I found fascinating, and you and I uh, touched upon this, is that we learned with the pandemic that we can do things differently. I mean, yes. things were shut down. People had to remote work. We sent out money to people. Hello, UBI. Right. Hello. <laughs> we were forced to, you know, do shorter work weeks, to actually not work, to do, to, to live differently. And we had to adapt. And so that means that we can adapt. We can and we should. Yes. I mean, we can. And this whole pandemic, like you're saying, has um, proven that to us, that we can adapt. Um, and I think we're going to be more satisfied when we do. It's not just that we can, but hey, like, look at the good that came out of us doing that. You know, I wanted to shift over to the virtue signaling, which I okay. think is super interesting. And these are phrases that I really wasn't super familiar with um, before listening to this podcast. Also, the um, what was the other one? The um, moral injury. injury. Mm -hmm. But we'll come back to that one. But there's a clip from the podcast that I want to play. Okay. About cool. a minute. And it's the guy who's interviewing um, Sarah, I'm not sure what his name is. Forgive me. Um, but it's not Ezra Klein because Ezra yeah. Klein has been off on, on paternity leave. Paternity leave. Yay! <laughs> yes. Enjoy that Ezra Klein. Um, cause you, we all deserve that. But anyway, um, he's talking about his experience and with uh, a corporation and this virtue signaling. And I just think he does such a beautiful, um, job of putting into words, what this experience kind of means. So let okay. me go ahead and give this a little start and then we can we can comment on it. Okay. The origination of moral injury, it's really at its core about the the transgression of your moral beliefs, of your identity, of your of your moral core. And I think that this concept can actually apply to a lot more workers than we might initially think. And I think this gets back to what we were talking about earlier there's a strong feeling among millennials 
and Gen Zers, especially among the substrata of college-educated elites, that our work should have an impact, that we should be making the world better, that we should be contributing to something bigger than ourselves. And our sense of purpose is really tied to that. And then there's this distinct form of suffering, I think, that comes with having spent your entire life jumping through meritocratic hoop after hoop, accumulating tons of student debt, sacrificing, you know, your parts of your personal life with the goal in mind of making a difference, of finding your dream job, and then only to have those expectations shattered, which to means like, you know, to find yourself in a job that isn't making any kind of what you see as a socially valuable contribution to the world, or in some cases as actually making the world worse. You know, something that you've described in your own writing is getting to that job and realizing that the internal culture is completely at odds with any social mission the organization may have. And all of these are forms of cognitive, emotional, moral dissonance that results in something that's like goes beyond just feeling exhausted or tired, right? There's this sense of existential anguish, of identity crisis, of spiritual malaise. And I can't help. So uh, my mistake, I thought that was the clip about him talking about his experience um, being hired by a company who said, hey, you know, you're going to be make an impact on the world. And his personal experience was that he just was like burnt out and really wasn't burnt out. He was like experiencing this moral injury and by virtue signaling from this corporation, he took this job and within six months he was done because he was like, this is just not working. But yeah, that was similar, great. That was a yeah. great clip, by the way. Similar, similar awesome. ideas. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. That was a perfect <laughs> clip because it described what moral injury was and the dissonance. And I, he just, he says it so well, but to expand on what you said, Lacey. Yes. And I think a lot of people can relate to this. He gets a job. I don't remember exactly what it, what it was, but like you said, he thought he was going to make a difference. And he says, that he goes back to his hotel room at night and lays on the bed and he is so physically, emotionally exhausted. And what yes. I like what he says about that, he goes, look, it's not even the hours because I was used to working hard. It's like, I felt like I was doing nothing, you know, a value. And yes. I, I love the way he points how it's this existential, like almost spiritual anguish, like that's so good that where you're thinking I'm putting my heart and soul into something. And I feel horrible, you know? I thought that was excellent, yeah. Yeah, I I agree. And I mean, I think, you know, for him to share his experience like that was really interesting. And also just like awesome to hear how he was a, a, a case, not only of falling to this virtue signaling that many of these corporations are doing now in order to get these younger Um, Mm -hmm. you know, workers to come work for them. But also for with uh, his own experience of moral injury, basically he's like, I thought I was burnt out, but I really wasn't burnt out because it wasn't really challenging work or whatever. I wasn't working all these hours. It was the cognitive dissonance. It was the dis, the moral injury of feeling and believing in one thing, but everything I'm doing in a day-to-day basis in my job goes against that. You know, and that's what's so interesting to me about this whole idea of moral injury um, is it's so much along the lines of what like what Frome would say is a part of how we kind of like 
do life. Like we function as automatons. The reason we function as automatons is because of moral injury. We're disconnected from our authentic selves in order to just function in society. Yeah. And if you, um, to bring up from here, and I know we've talked about him, so, you know, many times in this work um, situation is he says, from says it's like, we're part of a machine. And this machine is it's a means of just getting money. It's not in itself a meaningful human activity. And yeah. I think that's where the cognitive dissonance comes in, right? Because say you're a driver for Amazon, they say, make people happy. You know, you're going to change people's lives and then you're delivering packages till God knows what hour and people are mad at you because their package isn't coming on time. And you're like, I'm supposed to be making people happy. <laughs> right. And, and, and I'm supposed to be happy while I'm making people happy. No, no, no. That's, and so that's the virtue lie. signaling, um, like you said, you hadn't heard that. And I don't think I'd heard the term, but what to describe it is really you taking a job where the company or the industry is telling you that you're going to have this huge impact because you're going to like do some remarkable thing when really what you're doing is not that remarkable thing. <laughs> and right. it could be even where you're doing damage, but you know, they kind of hide that. So you're not even aware until you're in the industry, what's going on. Right. Kind of like his experience. They, it's, you know, it's actually not doing anything any good mm -hmm. to help, but they put a nice name on it. So it sounds like you are, you know, and I thought it was interesting how he was, I don't know if you remember this part, but he talked a lot about how corporations are changing their advertising strategies to, 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 cater to like the Gen Z's, the millennials who are mm -hmm. like wanting there to be some good made in order to get them to kind of come work for them. So I thought that was very interesting. Another thing on the moral injury that I thought was great was Sarah, I'm going to quote her. We're talking about how um, the system basically can be so restrictive and your example about doctors who really want to help, but they're limited by the system. Same with teachers. They really want to help. She gave an example of soap uh, in the bathrooms in New York City public schools, that that was not something that was there for the teachers and the kids. But then the pandemic came and they were like, OK, we're going to reopen schools. And they're like, we can't we literally cannot open the schools again unless there's soaps in the bathroom. And and wow. the, the, the dissonance that's there when your job as a teacher is to care for the kids, but yet there's not soap in, in the bathroom. And, you know, so your literal health is at stake, but yet your job is to take care of kids. And so her quote, this is so good. She goes, there's only so much that I, as a single human can do if I'm not being given the facilities I need, the products I need. It's actually that the conditions keep me from being as good at my job as I could be. Wow. Yeah, that's that's powerful. I forgot about that one, but yeah. yeah. There's example, example after that. And I mean, you can relate because you were also a teacher. Right, right. I mean, this is exactly why I'm not in that industry anymore because, you know, I know that there's only so much that Lacey can do individually um, within the system. And I think that this is quite interesting because... I think this links to Frome so well because Frome is the guy who says, look, 
the environment in which you're in affects the ability for you to thrive, depending on kind of what that environment is like, you know, the society, the family unit, you know, what fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And so there's such a parallel there between what Frome says and what, what she's saying and what they're saying here. Yeah. And I remember in our early episodes, we talked about from um, saying how man becomes alienated from his work because in our very beginning, we talked about how when you're, you're part of a craftsman and you're making something, then you see, you have the whole item. But if you're like on an assembly line and all you do is one thing where you're putting a screw in, or you're just painting a part, there's that alienation. You don't feel as if you're part of anything um, that you're making a difference there. Mm -hmm. I'm generalizing. There might be people who do, but from was trying to, to express that change going into industrialization and modernization. Right. And that not only that, but you are alienated from the end piece, the end mm -hmm. point of the process and or of the project. And so you're just putting legs on a table. That's right. Right. That's meaningless, you know, and that is something that he talks a little bit about in the same society, which is what we've been talking about. Um, in our latest episodes, he has a section on, on work. And yeah. he, he actually does talk about how the details of daily work are meaningful because they're not detached in the worker's mind from the product of the work. The worker is free to control his own working action. And the craftsman is thus able to learn from his work and to use and develop his capacities and skills as he goes. And of course, this is pre, um, you know, beginning of modern production mm -hmm. and that changed a right. lot. Yeah. That's what he discusses because he does discuss it in the beginning that modern work culture. I mean, we actually, it's what separates us from animals. It's, it's, and, and he brings that up. Like if you're going pre, you're going way back to like paintings on the walls and, you know, mm -hmm. making things like probably out of stone. So you're the man is a part of that. But as you're saying, as that, evolves into more of the modernization is where you start to see this alienation. Right. And he even talks about man actually um, like hating himself, but having just these moments because mm -hmm. he realizes all he is, is this machine and, and not making, and not making a difference. It's just this activity that he just goes to every day. Yes. And he, and he says, work, instead of being an activity satisfying in itself and pleasurable, became a duty and an obsession. It was more, it was, the more it was possible to gain riches by work, the more it became a pure means to the aim of wealth and success. Work became an answer to man's sense of aloneness and isolation, he says, mm -hmm. which is crazy. I mean, so uh, it went from something that people were able to really like be present in and connected to and with to something that they really weren't able to do that. And that just became about the end, which was making money. And, and, and then that, that put them in a place in us, all of us in a place where we really can't enjoy what we're doing. We're really alienated from it. Right. And um, yeah, it's a modern day problem. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, and I think it's kind of like a myth that, um, that we're going to go out and love our jobs, right? There's this pressure yes. that 
we're told that that's the way it's, you know it should be. And oh, this statistic was really interesting. They did they um, and you're talking about earlier the younger generation, and they poll people and they put career above relationships for oh, yes. 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 I mean, well, that's how it, that's how much we have been conditioned to prioritize work. So if you're listening to this and you're like, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> work is like super important. Don't worry. You're not alone because we've all been conditioned to feel that way, you know? But I think the thing that we're hoping to present here is that there's a lot of reasons why work is really not the best choice um, for fulfill fulfillment for our lives. I mean, and it's really hard for it to fulfill us. Frome also says that the relationship of the worker to his work is an outcome of the whole social organization of which he is a part, which reminds me of what um, the author Sarah Jaff was saying about teachers and doctors and how, you know, they're wanting to be there and to just give so much and really make a difference. But there's a limit to what they're able to do because of the whole social organization of which they are a part. Right. And I would say people listening to this, I'm sure there's various opinions. Some people may actually like their work. Some people may feel, hey, I'm stuck. I've got to stay in this job or others don't like their work. What I, what I think is sad, and it's a commentary in our society, there's another um, podcast I listened to, Lacey, and I actually brought it up to you, but I'm just going to tell you one point of it. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a social worker. She loved her job, loved it, loved mm -hmm. going to take care of people. And I think she was paid something like $8 an hour. She had to quit because she couldn't survive on that, and she had to go pack boxes which she was then paid, you know, $12 an hour or whatever the rate was at that. But the point being is here's someone who actually likes her job, but is not getting paid. And she's taking care of human beings, by the way. So. Which is an important uh, job. Yes. And, and she can't stay in that job. So that kind of gives you how our whole society operates. And it's mm -hmm. not to me an equitable way. Well, you know, surely not. And I mean, I mean, I think if you ask most people, you know, are you excited about your job or going to work tomorrow? If you ask them that on a regular basis, they'd be like, I mean, I mean, there's there are people. Yes, there are. Of course there are. But the vast majority of people are not like, woohoo, work. <laughs> it's Monday. Yay. <laughs> you know, and so I think that there's just a lot that Frome says, and that we're learning from other people, you know, who are doing podcasts and writing books um, and doing research and really just like observing and being present in what's going on in everyday life with people in their lives that they have to say that they're telling us that we can, we can learn from. And I think on an individual basis, um, you know, we can take this information and let it empower us and to make decisions for our lives and how we want to live our lives. And do we want to live our lives working however many hours a week? And are we going to spend our time investing in, you know, hobbies and in ourselves and doing things that are going to bring a quality of life to us? Are we going to kind of, you know, continue in the status quo? Additionally, are we going to, you know, do what we can to kind of help bring our society along, however that is for each of us? 
to a place where we can make some changes. Yeah, I think you said it best, Lacey. I'm excited about continuing the series and continuing the conversation and hearing from anyone out there who has thoughts on this. Yes. Send us an email, rethinkinghumanitypodcast at gmail.com. Leave a comment here. We'll respond. We appreciate you being with us uh, for another episode. uh, And we will see you next time on the Rethinking Humanity podcast. Bye. Bye.